Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. Uh, before we start, do two things for us. One, mash the subscribe button right there. I don't know why everybody says mash it, but do it anyway. Press it. Press it all the time. I don't think anybody says mash it. You're Literally the only everyone. person I've ever heard say no. mash the subscribe button. Tim, no. tell her. Yeah, you're not watching enough other YouTube-related yeah. content. I'm sorry. To everybody says that. Uh, then go to Bulwark.com. Go to TheBulwark.com, and we get all sorts of great stuff. We run very smart pieces every single day for free on the website. We put out all of these podcasts, which are free and are really good. You can get Charlie Sykes' excellent newsletter. Just go ahead and sign up for it. Again, it's free. No ads or anything. It's great. And go to TheBulwark.com um, and do can that. I, can I interrupt with some promotion? As well? Sure. I mean, for starters, you're just so nice to always mention Charlie's newsletter, which is great. But the, tri- the triad today, not free, but worth every penny, certainly worth more than a $20 blue check mark a month. Uh, and uh, it was exactly what I've been thinking for three days. You're inside my brain about how, you know, that the people that were too cautious on COVID, they have to have a reckoning. But the people who held super spreader events and killed Herman Cain, for some reason, they don't have to have a reckoning. So, uh, you know, only it's one amazing. Sign, it is amazing. So anyway, the, it's a much better argument than my, that summary. But that's a little teaser. That's so good. And we also I just so enjoyed having Billy Corbin on. I hope people listen to our bonus podcast because he was hilarious. Some people did not like the amount of sex talk. Sarah, did, did you listen to it, Sarah? It's so I haven't good. listened to it. Uh, I don't listen to podcasts that I'm excluded from. You don't listen to any <laughs> podcast unless you're on. You only listen to podcasts that you're on. You already know what you said on those. That seems like a weird policy. Tim, you may recall that that Sarah used to demand, as the captain of her varsity basketball team, demand that she be allowed to warm up on a separate court <laughs> than her teammates because they weren't good enough. Nobody remembers that. You're the only one who cares. I wish I'd never told you that little anecdote. Why? About I think it's wonderful. School, so. It shows great leadership. Yeah, I just I don't it is I'm a little confused. I I I listen to podcasts that other people are on, not the ones that I'm on, but you know what to each their own. Teach their own. I just haven't listened to it yet. Okay. No, I of course will listen to Billy it. Billy was hilarious. It was so fun. It was amazing. So it was people should go check amazing. that out. And 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 my self-promotion, uh, we were just discussing in the green room. Last week's not my party was uh, is about how scary China is, and the Chinese are after me now. I think, guys. I don't know. Maybe 100%. there's black helicopters circling above West Oakland, but well, they tried to meme you. Yeah, they memed me. There was a. I, I, I'm now on. I'm now on pro China Instagram, which is a pretty weird place. Ooh. And uh, there are a lot of memes about how strong Chairman Xi is. And they tried to mm. meme me as like a little baby who is getting who is getting, I guess, murdered. But by it's Kim, Kim Jong Un in in that. Why is that? Well, they're also pro North Korea. Oh, okay. Well, because they're also pro North. They're pro North Korea and pro China. But there's some other good memes about how America's bad and China's great. So I'm I'm on Instagram. Uh, I'm just sort of wading through that. Uh, That's just an area of the internet I wasn't aware of before. And uh, they tried to come after my Twitter. And I don't. You know, I don't know. I I think that the Chinese are monitoring Snapchat. I guess that's something for folks to be aware of. Imagine if your show had been on TikTok. Yeah. Are we a little bit concerned that the guy, how about this for a transition, the guy that's taking over Twitter also has a lot of financial exposure in China? That's yeah. not, that's probably not great, huh? I mean, they have TikTok, they're trolling me on Snapchat, and now they, you know, uh, have the are carrying a lot of financial incentives for the owner of Twitter. It's pretty good for China. Pretty good run. 
We're going to talk all about that when we get to the Musk stuff. Uh, we we got to talk about Paul Pelosi first. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so over over the weekend, we had uh, a gentleman allegedly break into the house of Nancy and Paul Pelosi, uh, allegedly demand to know where Nancy was, uh, allegedly beat Paul Pelosi, who's 82 years old, in the head with a hammer and fracture his skull. Allegedly, he admitted to all of this already. (laughs) Allegedly. Look, until there's a conviction, I am saying allegedly. uh, I would like to read you some of the reactions from conservative world from John Cardillo. I'm going to say it. I couldn't care less what happens to Paul Pelosi. He and his wife are evil motherfuckers who have raped and pillaged this nation to give themselves a nine-figure net worth. Blah, blah, blah. Dinesh D'Souza, one assailant. Isn't in John Cardillo the guy that we found out was on the take from some foreign governments? Wasn't that him? I, I couldn't. Allegedly, you mean. I'm, uh, allegedly. Uh, this is Dinesh. Number two, Paul Pelosi knows his name and tells police he's a, quote, friend. Number three, assailant asks, where's Nancy? To make sure she's not home. Number four, Pelosi takes bathroom break from spat and makes 911 call. Conclusion, this guy was a sex partner or male prostitute from Monica Crowley. The Pelosi house is the kind of place that looks normal from the outside, but has all kinds of crazy-ass stuff going on behind closed doors. Do you, do you get what she means? Uh, and then we have Donald J. Trump Jr. saying that he has his Paul Pelosi Halloween costume ready, and it is a pair of dirty Hanes, tidy whities and a hammer. Oh, and then there's Clay Higgins, who said... That moment you realized the nudist hippie male prostitute LSD guy was the reason your husband didn't make it to your fundraiser. <laughs> they really showed them. They just owned the libs. Trump Sr. also weighed in on this since since that oh. list was made. Uh, he was on the Chris Stiegel show this morning. It's a, it's a really fact-based radio program. Uh, weird things going on in that household the last couple weeks. The glass seams was broken from the inside to the out. So it wasn't a break in. It was a break out. That's the former president weighing in on that one. And my former gubernatorial candidate, Larry Elder, um, had a really great joke. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter about how Paul Pelosi got hammered twice. I got this one. I got this Mm. one too soon, question mark. Poor Paul Pelosi. First, he gets busted for DUI. Then he gets attacked in his home, hammered twice in six months. That's funny. Sarah, why don't you tell me how swing voters are going to react to all this? Because I'm pretty sure they're (laughs) going to publish Republicans for deviating from one of our cherished American political norms. Punish. Punish, yeah. Uh, I don't think, unfortunately, Paul Pelosi is going to factor a great deal. Oh, okay. So Carrie Lake uh, isn't going to pay any price for her little, you know, about, guess she doesn't have great security out there. That Arizona indie voters aren't going to punish her. I I don't know. I mean, you know, right now, independents are do seem to be breaking for Katie Hobbs. Uh, although, uh, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen. It's too close to comfort. Every poll I've seen has them exactly neck and neck. Uh, so, uh, look, I, I, I am one of the things I tweeted on that Larry Elder. Uh, is it a joke? Is that what we're going to call it? Is that it's not that he said it. Right? It's not that he said it. It was at the time of my screenshotting of this, it had 30,000 likes. And that means that not only are people not getting, you know, normally in, in different times, in the before times, the before times of, I don't know, like even three years ago, like even in the Trump era, 
I feel like something like this, the violence, um, I mean, he was like in surgery while this was happening. Hmm. Like he, he was, it was, it was the, the day it happened rather than even like the routine thoughts and prayers, condolences stuff. Normie, good guy, team normal, Glenn Youngkin was on the trail saying, you know, oh yeah, violence is bad, like a throwaway. And then, but we're going to send Nancy Pelosi back so you can be with him. I genuinely, I know, we all know Sarah's like Lucy with the football and <laughs> can be a little bit naive. I am genuinely shocked, not only that they're saying it, but that there's no pushback from any other corner of the right saying like, don't, don't be like this, guys. Like, this is awful. But I have not seen, even among people that I would think are like the more responsible Twitter users who try to like, uh, Twitter users on the right who try to keep themselves kind of on the right side of the line generally, on the more respectable side of the line, like they're not out there condemning all this. They're focused on the Steve Scalise comparison, that Steve Scalise didn't get as great of media coverage for as long as Paul Pelosi. That's that's who the that's what the good guys are doing. Tim. Yeah. I got a question for you. You you are an old political hand. You have been around advising candidates and strategizing middle aged political hand. I want to I want to ask you something. If you were advising a Republican who's currently running for election, which would you tell him would be more dangerous for his electoral prospects? Would it be sending out a Dinesh D'Souza-style tweet saying this is a gay lover spat or prostitute? Or would it be tweeting out the following from former Vice President Mike Pence? This is an outrage and our hearts are with the entire Pelosi family. We pray Paul will make a full recovery There can be no tolerance for violence against public officials or their families. Which of those two statements would be more dangerous for the prospects of a Republican who is standing for office in a week? Um, I don't I'm not going to give you the answer you want on that one. I I think the first one, um, (laughs) uh, depending it, the the sad part is it really does. It's a cap. It's caveated. It depends on the race and where they are and what what kind of race they're running for. I, I think that. Sending a Dinesh D'Souza style tweet about how Paul Pelosi obviously had a gay prostitute and had it coming or whatever would not be the smartest move if you are Blake Masters, for example, tied in a tight race in Arizona where things are where the momentum seems to be moving your direction slightly. Um, I think that would probably be an error. Uh, but you know, if you are Running in a lot of other states, in red states, I don't think that, I think Eric Schmidt in Missouri certainly wouldn't suffer any consequences for sending that tweet and might might worry about his future political prospects, more long-term political prospects for tweeting the um, the Mike Pence thought. Carrie Lake might not want to do the Mike Pence one because it would it might hamper her longer term you know, just positioning as a lib owner extraordinaire. So I, I, I see where you're going with it. And and I also think that if we were in primary season, um, it might be different, sadly. I think that the more accurate and damning condemnation is the fact that, like, with a couple of exceptions, going full troll while Paul Pelosi is in the ICU is, like, not at all a political risk for republicans with unless they just happen to be blake masters or joe o'day in a handful of states and it's probably good for them on their engagement online which is what a lot of these guys care about more than anything anyway i mean i don't you know jim swift has his shtick about how ted cruz doesn't want to be a senator anymore i think that's pretty clear that ted cruz's 
dabbling. I don't remember exactly what his his tweet was, but he was dabbling in the conspiracy world on this, and I, I don't I don't see him suffering anything. Yeah, he said truth. He like quote tweeted one of these conspiracy weird things, and it was sort of like was it Dinesh? Well, I don't know if it was Dinesh. It, it was somebody else, but it was kind of like, but what are we to know? How could we possibly know? And he was like, yeah, truth. I will say on just the political, the rank political question, I don't think it has no impact at all. Like, I'm not sure I think it impacts vote choice quite. I do think it has shifted the conversation in the environment, sort of the way that the, you know, it was all abortion all the time. And then Ron DeSantis put migrants on a plane to Martha's Vineyard and we started talking about immigration. I do think this pulls us back into a conversation in which Republicans are on defense because the accusation here is about the radicalization of the Republican Party, the violence of the Republican Party. It kind of re-ups the conversation around January 6th. And that's why people like Ben Shapiro are so defensive right now because they're saying, I see what you're doing. Like you are trying to make this a bigger conversation about the right going into an election, about radicalization. And I think that that is happening actually not quite out, not out of any pure political calculation. I think it's happening because there is increased violence, increased threats against legislators and more people. I mean, like when something like this happens, this is this is somebody coming into her house with a hammer being like, where's Nancy looking for her? The guy said in his, I don't know, deposition on the record that he was looking for her because he was going to tie her to a chair and break her kneecaps. And like the legend and people in send her a message yeah, pe- to send a message. He meant that he meant that seriously, not literally, Sarah. Yeah, I'm sure. Allegedly. So and, and here's another thing I just want to remark on this. A lot of people are kind of saying like legislators from both sides have seen like a really increased level of threats. And I think that is true. I would like to see the breakdown, though, of how many of those Republicans who are getting threats are getting threatened because they weren't sufficiently pro-Trump in some way. Like a lot of the threats that are coming in, right, to are people who were the impeachers. Like Liz Cheney's had to get a lot more like she's a Republican. She'll count in the Republican column of threats. But the people who are threatening her are the same people who are threatening Nancy Pelosi and for the same reasons. Yeah. And also the lower level stuff. Which is it's all against like you know election officials and you know the, the people you and I have never heard of right? right Reuters did a giant you know six month long investigation on this poll workers and ballot counters and all that uh, those people whether they're Republicans or Democrats are all getting as you say death threats from the exact same people right I, I get a question about uh, about our anti anti friends so just like you know why isn't Brian Kemp the future of people who want the normal, the the team normal Republican Party back. Here Mike Pence is yet again on the side of the angels, right? Mike Pence is doing what every Republican should be doing. It'd be the easiest thing in the world to simply say, yeah, I'm with Pence, right? Don't say anything about Steve Scalise. Don't say, just say, Mike Pence has it exactly right. He's a true conservative and I stand with him. But these people want nothing to do with it because he's radioactive. And the only reason he's radioactive is because he was anti-coup. I think that's right. And I think, you know, as I, the last few focus groups, just I'm always reminded Pence came up and they don't hate Mike Pence. They don't like Mike Pence and they think he's boring and a snooze. And that was a big part of like the people say like he's boring, he's lame, whatever. Here he is lamely mm. condemning violence. And that's not really what people want, right? They want, yeah. they like the jokes, and that this is this has become in this sort of infotainment right wing world, right? Like any any ownage of the libs, even if it comes at the expense of 
decency. I mean, one of the guys who tweeted something horrific, I know I, I, it was the one that I was like, I must be naive, but I can't believe this. He's a member of Congress. She is his colleague. It's like me walking into my office and having something terrible happen to somebody with whom I'm having a disagreement, like one of their children gets sick or like someone in their family's assaulted and me making a joke about it, which I would never do because it's an inhuman, disgusting way to behave. Yeah, I, I think that you hit that uh, on what the voters are looking for. It reminds me of that focus group we did together, Sarah, which was the Alabama. I think it was Alabama and Florida together mm-hmm. where, like, you know, their perception was that Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene were fighting. And that's what they wanted. But, like, fighting for them, pushing them, being more conservative. Yes. Being more conservative really just meant being actually ruder. Right. Like being more obnoxious, you know, more performatively anti-left. Right. Like that's what they're looking for. And that's the difference between them and Kemp. Like Kemp gets some points with the Eric Erickson's of the world for like signing very conservative legislation in Georgia. Right. Which he has done. Right. Brian Kemp is no moderate. Uh, But like for the broader Republican electorate. Like that doesn't get you very far. Like that gets you some kudos on commentary and National Review and from Eric, uh, but like it doesn't get you very far with the actual voters. What they want is somebody that's going to stick it in the eye of Nancy Pelosi and make me clutch my pearls on this podcast. Like that's what they want, right? You know, I, I think this is like to me the key difference, and that is what is stoking, you know, more of this radicalization on the right. It's fine and fair to say at some point that, yeah, there's some radicalization on the left and there's some overheated rhetoric. Like, it's okay to say that. Like, the question then is, but how is how do people respond to that, right? I mean, you know, even with the Kavanaugh example, the attempted assassination, I guess, whatever, on Kavanaugh, where they didn't, the guy didn't even make it into his house. Like, there were some, you know, there's some lefty Twitter people that are like, ah, you deserve, you know, saying gross things, right? But, like, the discourse was all about how responsible Democrats and like public figures, you know, on the left were saying, guys, no, like this is not what we're supposed to do. And then, you know, they they got some backlash from, you know, the, the rank and file, right? Like that. But so this is like, you did not see, you know, whatever, Rashida Tlaib or Jake Auchincloss like tweeting like, hey, are we sure that this guy that went after Kavanaugh was a lefty? I mean, maybe he was an enraged MAGA voter who was unhappy that Trump didn't steal the election hardcore enough and like are you know are we are we sure that this wasn't a false flag by Brett Kavanaugh and like like the idea that there would be a democratic like member that would do that like they would they would face widespread opprobrium like after making such a comment like and and so like that culture is i think the difference at this point we had a package of clips. We're not going to wind up playing them, but uh, where in which one of them says uh, somebody on some cable news show said, you know, and, and after they tried to kill Brett Kavanaugh, Joe Biden didn't say anything. It's not right. When I heard that, I thought to myself, is that right? I, I don't remember that. And so I went to the Google machine and I typed it in. And literally the first the first result you get is from foxnews.com. And it is. Biden unequivocally condemns Kavanaugh attempted assailant. And the story is like, not only did Biden rush out to condemn it unequivocally and pray for Brett Kavanaugh and his family, but to then propose that we spend more money on protection for, for judges, like, like an actual policy response on top of, on top of the thoughts and prayers. He didn't suggest it might've been a breakout. He didn't suggest it might have been a he breakout or that, that, he that, didn't that Brett that. and the guy might have been they might have had a tiff while they were drinking beers because Brett Kavanaugh loves drinking beers so much or anything like that. No, 
The other thing that I think is um, an interesting subplot in all this that is worth, and this is what my not my party's on this week, but it's just kind of worth exploring, is just how close the the horseshoe is now almost an oval. Oh, yeah. Right? And like this guy, the attacker, you know, the horseshoe theory for people who don't appreciate is that, like, is that politics is not a line left or right, really. American politics, it's a horseshoe where those of us at the bottom of the horseshoe where it connects are, you know, your squishy, never Trump, rhino, Republicans, and you're like conservative you know, remaining democratic, you know, moderate types. And like, we're basically together on one side. And the other side of the horseshoe is, you know, the super magas and the Bernie bros, the far leftists, right? And, and they are getting closer and closer together to the fact that the horseshoe has almost created a circle. And this guy, the attacker is like the prime example of this. And, the, and a misunderstanding of the horseshoe is what is allowing some of this, this, the, the Republicans to demagogue on this, right? Because they're all going out saying, well, could a Berkeley nudist really be a conservative, really be radicalized by the right? And, and like, I think for a casual normie, they might look at that and say, that's kind of a good point the Ted Cruz has on that, right? So it gives him even more cover to troll when like the reality is that that this guy is is going down the same radicalization pipeline that you see all the time if you like are on YouTube and suffering through political discourse like I do. Um at which is, you know, your anti-Iraq war, occupy Wall Street, anti anti deep state liberal like is now Tulsi and Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi, right? Glenn Greenwald, Tim Pool. Like they're now MAGA Republicans, basically. Right. They don't say that because it hurts their brand. But like ostensibly all of their rhetoric is that and they've hopped. And this guy is that right. He was your Berkeley liberal. And, and but he got radicalized into being anti anti state. And now it's like, well, Pelosi and Hillary, like they represent what what in his mind used to be represented by like Bush and the ba- big banks. Right. It's this establishment elite you know thing and 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 i think that like that is that gets lost in all this conversation because the republicans troll about it and like the you know liberals like don't want to like there's some that do but but there's a lot of incentives to not like bring that up right that that connection is happening and that that radicalization pipeline is taking place so i I don't want to spend the whole show on this but i do want to ask both of you about this question because it it strikes me as interesting the Bernie bro dirtbag left types who've clearly been radicalized, they did that without the prompting of Bernie Sanders, which I have always thought was interesting. Like Bernie himself, like Bernie's a democratic socialist, but he is, you know, and his politics are not my politics, but he is not of the character personally or rhetorically, of the people who wound up, like, making that horseshoe jump. I've always wondered, like, why and how that is. I think Tulsi filled the vacuum. I guess my short answer is that's how why Tulsi's filling that vacuum right now, honestly. And it's like being the representative sort of, like, politician leader, even though she's not um, anymore. My answer to this, my short answer, I'd be interested in Sarah's take, is that it's the same bottom-up thing that you see on the right. That, like, a lot of this is driven the radicalization among that bernie bro crew is is driven by the rank and file like they hated the banks and they hated the wars and they hated the establishment and that got them madder and madder and more open to conspiracies and and whereas on the republican side um the politicians started being like oh yeah i'm gonna feed this and stoke it like bernie for whatever reason didn't feel like he had to do that you know, because he's a responsible politician that has some wrong views on economics, but I guess is the answer. But but I, I think that's why that that 
I guess that'd be my answer to your question. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and so mine's a little different. I mean, I think it's it's a part of this coalitional transformation, right? We talk about political realignment, but I think political realignment is actually a little bit of a soft term for what we're really seeing. Coalitional transformation is the idea that, like, when I was coming up or when we were coming up in the conservative movement, Republican Party, there was all these anti-vaxxers on the left, and they were, like, anti uh what MGO NGO yeah. yeah like all this yeah. right and they would and and we used to be against them right like Dr Oz was the progenitor like in my old job we were constantly going after Dr Oz for being the snake oil salesman <laughs> like BS guy By the way, I just and have like, to say this. it's GMOs NGOs is non government organizations that was, it was I think they also me. disliked NGOs as well yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they they disliked no, 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 both no. GMOs <laughs> sorry thank you no I knew I knew I was saying it wrong I knew I was wrong. Uh, but it's been a long time since I've thought about this. But it's like this quack stuff, the anti-vaxxers, they were on the left. They have politically realigned to now be part of the Republican coalition. It's why, like, a place like Arizona, when I say, like, the people who are moving, like, when it when also, like, we're geographically self-sorting, like, the people who are moving to the outskirts of Arizona are often these, like, anti-vaxxers who, like, maybe, like, live in a van or something or, like, a whatever. They used to be— Down by the river? I don't know. But they used to be Democrats, and now they are Republicans, right? And because that's where they go to get their conspiracy theorizing validated. And so the parties have self-sorted along those lines in many ways. All right. Uh, I want to move on from this unless you guys have anything else to add before we go. Well, I want to get to the chief twit, but we're going to we're gonna get to him after that. We'll get there. All right. First, I want to talk about our friends, our friends, our sponsors at Bowling Branch. I don't know about you guys, best friends, but I like to have all of my Christmas shopping wrapped up by Thanksgiving. Same? You're an insane. Oh, I like to have all mine wrapped up by, uh, like, I do it all on December 23rd. Third, yeah. <laughs> me and Sarah the same. You're an insane yeah. person. You're the worst. Well, I like giving gifts. Giving gifts is, as Sarah will tell you, my love language. True? It's true. This is how I ended up with the bouncy house. <laughs> this, is, this is true. And watches. You have multiple watches. watches, which you never wear. That's true. The point is, uh, Halloween was, was Monday, and Thanksgiving is going to happen like the day after tomorrow. It's rushing toward us. And I have already started thinking about Christmas shopping and gift buying and looking to get things for people. And the truth is, some people are hard to shop for. Not you, Sarah. You're easy. But Tim, I imagine you're kind of hard to shop for. Uh, I'm so easy to shop for. Really? But Okay. okay. Well, okay. whatever. Yeah, sure. There are other people. Get Barry. Barry is hard to shop for. And, yeah, uh, sure. you Barry know. Is and he could use some sheets. I don't know what his sheets are like, but I'm guessing he could use some fresh ones. Bolin Branch has you covered. Yeah. That's the point. The point I'm saying trying to get to is uh, Bolin Branch makes the best sheets I've ever I've ever slept in. They're so good. It's the long staple cotton, which I'm always bleeding on and on about. Uh, they're tremendously good. They are both supple and substantial. Uh, you can't go wrong, honestly. Uh, get somebody some some bowl and branch sheets for the holidays, and you can start doing it now. So this is also. <laughs> They're giving you a great deal. You can bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch Bedding. For a limited time, get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code NEXTLEVEL at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code NEXTLEVEL. 
level. Next level, that's key, because our friend Sue, who I mentioned last week, she let me know she gave them the bulwark as the code. So I'm hoping oh, we still get credit dagger. for that. I'm hoping we still get credit. So I just, I don't know, we should check in the ba- on going through the back door, make sure. But we love Sue still, but next level. That's next level. And 20%. It's really good. It's pretty good. Uh, okay. Okay. So uh, since we last got together, Elon Musk has consummated his purchase of Twitter. Uh, Before we came online today, his $20 special champagne room premium tier has been downgraded to an $8 special whatever tier. Man of the people tier. Man of the people tier. This is like classic Musk, right? So he says, I'm going to fire 75% of the workforce. And then when he only fires 50%, it's like, see, it's not so bad. I'm going to charge $20 a month. See, it's only $8 a month. Do you guys have thoughts about all this? Because I am, as I wrote over the weekend in something Sarah didn't read, uh, actually quite hopeful that he may destroy the site. And I think that when he destroys it, if he destroys it, it'll be for very prosaic reasons that have nothing to do with politics. It won't be because there's a bunch of incels on, uh, you know, screaming the N-word. It'll be because, you know, 40% of all tweets... I don't think that'll help. Yeah, but that won't be the the real problem. The real problem is that 40% of all tweets and like half of the blue check marks will be people pushing crypto scams or OnlyFans accounts. And once it becomes basically just a big spam trap, that's what'll push users off, I think. I think that's probably right. I can't figure out because here's the the problem or or one of them. So psychologically, I'll just use myself as an example. I have a blue check mark. The idea of keeping Congratulations. Thank you. I know it's a big deal for all of us, right? I would never as a social signaling batter, like forget all the other things, but even as a social would never want anyone to think I was paying $8 for that blue check. It's one thing for somebody to have conferred it upon me. That's fine. I have it. Great. Uh, I don't think about it very often. But I would now, it's like, absolutely not. I don't want this if it means that now everyone knows I'm giving Twitter money to do this because then you're just showing people it means too much to you. And only lame people would do that. Yeah, it is a misunderstanding on on a couple of fronts. Like there was the guy, um, the guy that wrote Chaos Monkeys did is I guess a panel of Elon was doing a tweet thread about how great of an idea how this was and how he should actually charge more mm. and how these blue checks mm. are all pretending like they're That guy turns out to be the worst by the way. Yeah, I know that and and he basically is like people like Sarah. He's talking about Sarah who make that exact argument uh, are do not understand their own motivations and actually their entire status is proffered to them based on these blue checks and Sarah thinks she won't pay for it but not only will she pay for it if he charged more it would make her even more likely to pay more and i'm just like I, you guys are have your brains have been broken by the internet and and they and and by this <laughs> meme about the blue checks and how like they think it's so cool and all of this and it's and it, and, and it's like not actually real and and the the whole point of having this the blue checks originally and the whole point of having verification on a platform like this is actually for the platform's benefit not for the people's the users yes yes because because you it, it is good for a platform for users to be able to know i'm actually talking to 
the real Sarah Longwell, not a fake Sarah Longwell that is trolling me or pretending to be her or imitating her or whatever. Like that, that creates value and makes people want to use the platform because they can trust it. It was like when I went on Getter and wrote that big article, Getter by the Pussy, uh, last year for the Bulwark. When you go on Getter, uh, all of these, there were all these fakes, you know, sites pretending to be Sonic Fake food Little Caesars. Pre- yeah, yeah right? fake yeah. Dominoes, fake Little Caesars. And, and, but then it went to things like there was like fake Corey Lewandowski. And th- this was the one example. I had where it was kind of clear to figure out like the dominoes t- that was getting get getters about like pissing was like not the real dominoes but it was kind of hard to tell if Corey Lewandowski was like the real Corey Lewandowski or somebody pretending to be Corey Lewandowski and and that makes it kind of a hellscape and so then what happens if you don't know who's who like and you don't know what's real that makes things so much easier for scammers which takes you back to your point JVL Right, which is like it's not really so much about politics, but that that scammers now can come on and do easier. Like he he tweeted in this thing, he's like, for an additional eight bucks, you can get higher priority in the people's menchies. And it's like, great, that's yeah. perfect for scammers. <laughs> if you're a scam pack, you're like, hell yeah, like I'll pay you eight dollars a month, and then I'll tweet the link to my you give me two dollars, and all I need to get is five idiots to give me two dollars and click on that link, and I'm making money on this. So so it, it is it is a one way path to Craigslist which is the number one example of, of what not to do. And you can watch Craigslist go from like the premier classified site to totally unusable because of all the scammers. And, and like that, that is where they're going. And it's yep. based on the fact that these guys think they believe this caricature of the media elite that is not true. Like they have pl- foisted upon them this caricature where they sniff each other's farts and care so much about their checks. And that's what they all love. And it's kind of like, I, I there's a handful of people for whom that that's true, but that's not really right. And, and those are like the worst people that you are now projecting out into everybody that you don't like. And because they don't understand people's motivations for why they use the site, um, I, I, I do think that it's going to be a total backfire. And and I think that it also speaks to why the, that he sent that tweet at Hillary this week, you know, about just asking questions about Paul Pelosi. This is like a prime example, right? So what happens there? Elon tweets at Hillary, oh, actually, it might not be true, Hillary. Here's this link to a story about Paul Pelosi being a gay, having a gay lover. And he links to some site that literally had done another story five years ago about how Hillary was dead and there was a body <laughs> double. Okay. So then what happens after that? Everybody makes fun of him. What does he do? He deletes it. He deletes it. The, the new chief twit censored himself because... Why did he censor himself? Because there's value to fucking censorship on these sites. <laughs> People want to be able to trust what they can see on the site, but they don't understand that. They think that it's all a conspiracy by the elites to keep them down. And as, and until they fucking get it through their head that there's value to having credible information on their sites, then the, then the site's going to keep going down the toilet. That's my rant about the chief twit. Sarah, I have a question for you. Because what if the counterpoint to maybe this is a genius idea? is that uh, I think we've basically established that you can't make a business model that is at scale, meaning like at the, at the level of social platform, where people would pay $8 for credible information. You can do, you know, you, you can do The Atlantic or The Bulwark or The New York Times, uh, and, and you can get to that level, but you can't do it at scale. New York Times is a pretty big scale. No, not compared to platform, right? Uh, But what Musk is saying, maybe you could get a bunch of mouth-breathing internet trolls 
to pay $8 a month. And maybe that number is greater sign than the number of people who are willing to pay $8 a month for credible information. Maybe. Look, I just think there's like a bunch of other ways that he could have gone with this. Um, Like you could get blue checks. Like I actually would, I think, be like, it's a service. I enjoy Twitter. I might be willing to pay to maintain like my check mark if what I was doing then was like, was like maintaining something that they get. Like they're like you, you to get this, but like the idea that they open it up to everybody and that you can just pay to get the check mark totally eliminates the purpose of having one. Here's the problem, right? Elon overpaid for this thing. And so now he is trying to figure out how to make money on it. And I think he is doing that at the expense of long-term ideas that would enhance the user experience on the website, of which there are many things that one could do to improve the user experience, and create a model of paying for it. Like, you need to buy a subscription. Like, you could sell subscriptions to Twitter, right? Like, at a really low amount, regular users have two, it costs you $2 a month for blue checks, it costs you $15 a month, but like, and so you pay and you eliminate a lot of the bots, but like, when you say you can get verified, if you just hit this amount of money, you have created a complete perf- all the perverse incentives you can imagine. Yeah, and uh, he might be able to make money on this. I don't. I don't. I don't. I want to be clear. I don't. I'm not in the. I wish you were right, and this is like Twitter's dying. I don't really think that that's going to happen. Some people will pay for this. Like there'll be. They'll. He'll like be able to make some money on this. I and mean, think about this. Just the scale. No, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Though it, it will make some money in the short term. Short term. Yeah. Yeah. But. But, but I'm not sure. But long term, I think it's the path to destruction, right? But I'm saying because he's panicked, I think, about overpaying for this, right? The dude bought this. Like, the numbers that are coming out for Meta and for Zuckerberg, right? Like, when he bought it, it was – the tech stuff was at its peak, like, when he just threw out the number, the valuation, right? And everything's been cratering since then. And, like, TikTok is crushing and American social media companies don't know what to do. Mark Zuckerberg's lost, like – I don't know how many billions of dollars on meta because no one wants to live in the metaverse. Like it's just a, it's, it's like, that is not a thing people want. And as a result, Mark Zuckerberg has staked his whole deal on this and it's going down the tubes. And so on Twitter, I just think if Elon took a serious approach to this and thought, how do I make this user experience better? That has a lot to offer. It's a good platform. People like it. And like, how do we, how do we get rid of the bots? How do we give people slightly more control potentially over what they see, whatever, that's all he had to do, but that's not what he's doing. Well, I don't know. If that's all he had to do because of the overpay, uh, the Bill Cohen stuff over on Puck. And you know, I don't. We don't need to go down the, this route hole in this podcast. We aren't expertise, but I recommend if you're interested in this, Bill Cohen and Puck has been awesome. Just in like laying out, ju- it's just how. I just the short of it is how dire the finances are. Yeah. So the the problem is the 13 billion dollars of syndicated bank debt, which are going to be very hard for the banks to move. When they do move, they're likely to move it to vulture capitalists. And with the vault, once you go to vulture capital, uh, the minute you miss a payment, they take over the company. So uh, the concern is that at the end of the day, Musk is going to have to buy out the bank's version of that debt, which is another $13 billion on top of the $22 billion that, that he's got in equity. So you need cash, um, baby. No, this, I mean, the, the problem, the fundamental problem is that Twitter is not a business. It's a, it's a utility. And it, it, I don't think there are ways to make Twitter wildly profitable as a business, certainly not at the valuation that Musk paid for it. And all of the imperatives that, that go towards making 
more money for Twitter in the short term, which is what he has to do, are also the kinds of actions that are going to drive Twitter into the ground as a platform. And, uh, you know, so when people say, well, oh, well, he could save Twitter. Sure, he could make Twitter better. That's like, you know, there are a lot of nerds who have written policy papers about how to save Twitter and make it better over the last decade. The problem is that all of them mean negative growth. You've got to get away. You got to kill the retweet with comment button. Uh, you know, no quote tweets. You've got to to eliminate the like. You've got to enable downvoting. These are things which are going to tamp down engagement, and that's that's not what is going to make you more money. Well, I've been losing followers, and you know, some people, God love them, don't want to participate in the chief twits thing, and so you know that is life. But people got to come. Well, the you know the bolt work. You know, you got to come find us on the Substack. And Instagram. I don't want to have to go on to TikTok because the Chinese are actually worse. We're spending Elon's more interesting and bad. And there's kind of schadenfreude element to it. And like an element of like, oh, my God, what like a car crash element, what it's going to happen next. But it's less bad to, to the underlying discourse than what's happening over on the TikToks. So I think that we're very quickly going to get to a place where whether you are verified on Twitter is going to become a, an ideological badge in the way that your vaccination status is an ideological badge. And so the only people who will be verified on Twitter are Trump types and anti-antis and everybody else will not be verified uh, in the same way that, you know, you ask somebody, well, are you vaccinated? And that that's a pure political tell. What yeah. a world. Everybody, these assholes, these populists on the, both the left and the right were like, we need to break up the social media companies, their monopolies. And like that was like two years ago. And now all of a sudden we're going to have Twitter, Parler, yeah. Truth, Gab, like the world is their oyster. If you're a, if you're a MAGA and you want to shit post, there's was, like so many choices now. Coke has been broken up and, and been replaced by four MAGA RC Colas. You know, if somehow it was bad to have publicly held tech giants. But which are answerable to the market, but privately held tech giants, which are beholden to a single person. That's cool, man. Who has business in China. Totally great. Uh, Yeah. Don't you think that there is a total possibility of that? Like people are leaving. Yes. Why can't all the big super users and accounts just go somewhere else and create a new where like right now, like truth, social truth, truth, social is is like actually doing kind of okay. They should all go to truth. Why don't we all go to truth social together? No, but why, 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 why wouldn't we have something else? I think that's possible. Jack is starting blue sky and there are other, that's possible. It takes time though. Scale. And the Twitter, the, the, the Twitter's one competitive advantage was that it was like, if you want to see what people are talking about, about big event X, uh-huh. you know, there's one place to go. And so if there's a fracturing, you know, that, that then it will just never be at the same scale. Maybe that's fine. Maybe there's just a fracturing where there are a bunch of network effects. No, it'll be good. It'll be good for the world for Twitter to die. Uh, Okay, this is our last show before the midterms. Thank God, because I can't talk about the midterms anymore with them not having happened yet. I don't know how I'm supposed to do two more shows. Oh, you really you can't. You're excited to move immediately into talking about Trump 2024 Uh, for two years. I mean, I guess it'll be better than this. No, it won't. And no, it won't. It'll be worse. Uh. So I would like to make some predictions. Would anybody else care? Would you like to play a game? <laughs> I, I would. I love games. All right. I want to start 53. by saying that I'm a rain cloud and a bad gambler. So just everybody take that into account. 
when you're listening to my my coming predictions. I'm going to open the bidding at 53 Republican seats in the Senate. Okay, which okay, well then who do you have? So yeah. okay, so in Georgia, that's that you're given the R's R's in Georgia. Walker. Okay. Masters. You're given it Arizona. Okay. Vance. Okay. Uh, Laxalt. So Nevada. Uh, and Oz, and then, right? And so the Oz holds. Ron John holds. Yeah, those are those are mine. I, I think they so run your the pickups. Table. Your pickups are Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. I think Colorado does not come home for the Republicans. I think they hold in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And what North about Carolina. New Hampshire? There's some really frightening polling out of St. Anselm that has uh, has uh, old bald the general the Baldick, general like neck and neck. Uh, I I'm not going that dark, but that's why if you want to take the over at 53 and a half, it's not mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, it's a low percentage play, but it's not crazy. Where where are you, Timothy? Yeah, I'm going. I'm going with 52. I'm gonna go with 52. I, I think that um, I, I find it hard to. I don't. Hard is an overstatement. I really don't think the Republicans end up sweeping Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. That's like four coin flips. Even if the coin is really like 55, 45 Republicans on all four, that you're still winning four. You know, four pretty close to coin flip races at this point I, I i kind of think the democrats will squeak out one of those the early turnout numbers aren't spooking you the early turnout numbers are spooking me particularly in florida not really so much in nevada uh the nevada early turnout numbers aren't horrible right now um the florida ones are a really bad sign just kind of broadly and some of the other blue state ones are pretty bad uh broadly the georgia i'm pretty spooked by georgia but uh you know that's why i'm that's why i'm, I'm saying i think that the republicans win three of those four um but I don't know. And my range is basically the best case scenario for the Democrats, I think, is holding at 50. And I don't think that's going to happen uh, all the way up to, I think, 54 Republicans. But I, so I'm going to go right in the middle of that with 52. And, and I think the Democrats hold on and either probably Nevada is the most likely. Not Arizona. I think Arizona, Arizona I think. is the most likely. Pennsylvania. I, I, I'll, yeah. Well, the, the Libertarian is out of the race and endorsing Blake Masters because. Yeah, that's bad. That's a bad development. Libertarians believe very, very deeply in using the power of the state to boss private companies around, uh, which is all, it's all right there in Ayn Rand. It really is. I mean, it's, you know, she lays it out. That's what John Galt says over and over again. We must use the power of the state to compel business owners to do what we want. Yeah. Right? Isn't that liberal libertarianism? I don't no? think so. Am I wrong? I don't think so. Hmm. It's so confusing. Sarah? So I, the last time we did this, I've, it's not on my board anymore, but I had, I had it holding at 50. I can make a case for that again, but to make that case, I would have to believe that Ryan has a chance of picking up Ohio, which I got to tell you, this has been my big indulgence as I caveat it, is I just have trouble with kind of a glib, no Republican can win in Ohio. No Democrat. When he's running such a good race. And with Vance, people, there's this really actually good dispatch from uh, from Ohio in Slate. Slate. Yeah. It's, yeah. I read I that, that. Like, a great in piece. the middle of the night last night. And it's a terrific piece. And, and it's sort of the main point. This is something I've really seen in the focus groups. And it's the thing that kind of makes me just not be able to write it off is – 
People don't like Vance. They don't know. They don't know he's running. They don't know anything about him. He's not that interesting to them. Like he's just not doesn't have any juice. And so you've just got to assume. And Ryan has been everywhere and people like him and he's winning the shared brown voters and brown won by six and 18. That was a great year for Democrats. This year is not going to be. So it's it's hard. I just like it is not impossible. And I'm going to keep it on my board. And if they were going to hold even they'd probably, it'd, it'd be because there was like a big upset there just because of Ryan being such a good candidate. I think Georgia goes to a runoff, okay? And then I'm not sure what happens from there, right? I am, I have, I genuinely am not sure, I think it will become clearer to us down the road, right, is does it help Warnock to not have Kemp at the top of the ticket, presuming that like Kemp is going to have a blowout on Stacey Abrams or like at least four to six points, let's say. Um, So does it help to not have that? But also if Georgia ends up being decisive in terms of who controls the Senate, Mitch McConnell will like bury the state in money. Like they will do everything they can. Every Republican will be there to like physically carry on their backs, every Republican to the polls. In a weird way, Warnock, I think's best chance is to go to a runoff, which I think is still realistic, mm-hmm. and have the Republicans have 51. Yeah, that's right. In which case, so it gives everybody kind of a lot of cover to just be like, eh, I don't have to vote for Herschel Walker. I don't have to go out to vote for Herschel Walker, actually. I don't have to hold my nose for this guy. Um, the 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 soft, that that little, this is presuming that that group exists and this is in a runoff. And Herschel ends up winning with 52% of the vote. That's not there. But I, I think that, and I think that's really possible. And I think that's kind of how you get to 51 if you're the Democrats. Not that that really matters that much, but is, you know, sort of an Oz and Masters or Laxalt win. And then Warnock goes to a runoff and, and and kind of does what the same thing that happened in 2020. Yeah, and going back to my thing about the candidates and how much they matter, um, I mean, if it's a wave, it's a wave in Arizona. Um, but I think in Nevada is probably where the Republicans have a better chance, in part because Kelly's been a pretty good candidate. He's an incumbent. People like him. Cortez Masto, people don't have strong feelings about her. It's a weird state. Um, you know, I had Ralston, uh, John Ralston, on the, the focus group pod, and he's actually coming back. This week, I'm doing a Nevada focus group tonight. And one of the things that's interesting about the state is because it got hit so hard by the pandemic, a lot of people left. And then a lot of new people came back when, like, they reopened. And so there's been, like, a real turnover in in just the population. And so it's really hard to get a beat on, like, who showed up. And is it possible that, you know, the people who wanted – you know, came for jobs – uh, and wanted to work at a casino that they're not more Republican than they were previously. You know, I don't know. But I would give – it's Nevada is the one that I would give them as a pickup to get them to that 51. The Nevada polls the last two cycles have gone the other way from – Yeah. Uh, on the miss. You know, it's it's like the working class Latinos have been harder to poll, just like working class whites have been. And that has benefited Democrats in the past. Maybe not this time. Maybe there's enough of a Latino switch that that doesn't happen this time. But uh, but that, that that's, I think, the blue sky uh, argument for Masto over over the other. Yeah, so I'm going to go 51. OK, 51, 52, 53. It's going to be great. I hope no Supreme Court justices decide that they want to go spend more time with their family because, uh, you know, if. There's 51 Republican senators. You ain't going to get a Supreme Court nomination voted on uh, beginning like January 3, right? Or January 7, the day after the day Mitch McConnell is sworn in. We will have to go two full years with with a single seat vacant because I guess that's how we do things now. And 
you know, we can get off to the races with Donald Trump's announcement that he is staging the hugest, most historical comeback ever, and that he's going to win the presidency for the third time, despite never having won the popular vote. And uh, we get to live with that for another two (laughs) years. Before you transition us out, I know we've had a long show, and it's been a good show, but I do want Sarah's take really quick on governor's races. Governors, yeah. Uh, just just go very fast. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona. Uh, I think Mastriano loses in Pennsylvania. That polling has held uh, in terms of Shapiro there beating Mastriano, which is good because I Shapiro live with like – 2024. Inc- what? Shapiro 2024. I I, I'm starting to feel that way too. I have some, some – uh, I think he's running a great race. And uh, I'm worried. I think Tim Michaels, who just uh, if if this is this just happened, but when you hear this tomorrow, it will uh, be a day old. But he said when he is the governor of Wisconsin, uh, that a Republicans will will never lose again. Uh, they will never right. lose again. Oh, because he's going to govern so well. Uh, I suspect it's because he's not going to certify the the <laughs> oh. results of an election oh. in which a Democrat wins. I see. Um, well, I assume that the people of Wisconsin will punish him for that. I don't know. I'm quite concerned about Michaels. I do think Evers holds on there. Um, so I think, I, I, yeah, I know. That's a big one because that's a that's tough. If I was feeling really gloomy, I can certainly say Michaels wins that one. Wait, so you think Ron John will run ahead of Michaels as hated as he is? Yes. Wow. I think Ron John will run ahead. Uh, and the reason is, is that Evers is kind of boring, but people are not mad at Evers. And so, so I'll t- give you an example of a place where they are mad. So in, um, in Nevada, there is a Republican running against the incumbent and, and the incumbent is this guy Sisolak and people are pissed at him about how he handled the pandemic and they are mad at him about like his payments. They didn't get the payments out to people like they're whatever. And it's, it's been a big cluster. And so like, they're actively mad at him. And so they've got the sheriff running. Joe Lombardo is a Republican. I think Lombardo is going to win. But Evers, people are kind of like, oh, he's fine. Um, is what I've heard in the focus groups. And so I'm going to go ahead and say he hangs on and the incumbency helps him. Michigan and Arizona. Arizona is my sad story because I think Kerry Lake's going to win Arizona. Um, and I think it's going to be a squeaker. I think it's going to be a squeaker either way. And I think we're in for hell either way because Kerry uh, Lake's either going to win by a point or two or she's going to lose by a point, and then we are in for her not conceding and uh, recounts and a bunch of hell. I think I think Whitmer's fine in Michigan, and I think them. At what time on election night, local time, not Eastern, does Carrie Lake declare victory? I say that she declares victory the minutes polls close. Yeah, I don't know about the minute polls close, but I agree with you that she she probably declares victory before we have the results. I think shortly after polls close, she takes the stage and declares victory. Especially because we're going to be in a situation again where day of returns are going to favor Republicans and they're going to be ahead and the Democrat stuff's going to trickle in and it's going to tighten. And, you know, we had a very sad election night in 2020 where we did like a live stream and we were watching stuff come in and we were just like, oh, my God. And then over time, um, you know, the even and we even knew and we couldn't get our heads around it. And so people are going to need to know that this time, internalize it, that it's going to be days before when the if the races are there's some places where we're going to know the night of, but there's a bunch where we won't. I was still kind of sad even once the final results came in. I was hoping for a 
repudiation of Donald yeah. Trump. So, you know, sure. that, that's um, right. Uh, so I guess the fi- <laughs> my final thought is it's really great news that we've got uh, the leader of the Republican Party, the the coming potential governor of Wisconsin and Arizona are all less interested in in maintaining democratic norms than Jair Bolsonaro, the neo-fascist leader of Brazil who just lost his runoff election and is, is acting kind of just like a normal bad loser. Normal bad loser. Is even directed his cabinet to begin working on the transition, yeah. which is something that our previous president didn't Never do. Did. Unbelievable. So, you know, great. So that's a, All right. That's a nice place to leave us. Good show. Long show. Guys, it was great to have you. Everybody, hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, and come to thebulwark.com. Sign up for all the stuff we've got. It's all free. It's all great. And make a plan to bring somebody to the polls. Bring a friend to vote. That might help. Sure. Guys, we're gonna see you. We're gonna see you again on the other side. Okay? Go vote. Take a friend. Take all your friends. Grab some young people on the way. Just pick them up off the street. <laughs> Good show. We'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's midterm election preview. Uh, Next week, the show is going to be delayed a little bit. We're going to tape it on Wednesday, so we have the full election results. can give you all the analysis you need, let you know who to be the most scared about, what to be excited about, and preview what's coming in 2024. We'll see you next week on Wednesday.